Talk Zone presents Two Guys and a Mic, your mid-morning break sports talk show. It's a passionate yet lighthearted look at the world of sports, featuring the coach, John Cohn, and the big dog, Joel Radwanski. They'll recap the games from yesterday, look ahead to the matchups tonight, and cover a lot more in between. Now, Two Guys and a Mic on TalkZone.com. Welcome to the Two Guys in a Mic show. Beautiful Thursday here in the fine city of Chicago. Thank you so much for joining us here. The snow is finally falling here in the beautiful Midwestern state of Illinois. Speaking of Illinois, the basketball team, red hot. A lot of momentum still being kept in that big upset victory over Ohio State. We've got a big football weekend coming up. A couple of games on Saturday, a couple of games on Sunday when we are done. We will be down to the final, do I have it right? Final four in professional football. How about that? Is the football season rapidly um, coming to an end? And uh, we'll check in and find out about the Big Dog Super Bowl plans, too. we got to start uh, figuring out where, when, who, when, how, and what. Most importantly, he will be cooking for his Super Bowl party. The Big Dog and the Coach with your run up until 11 o'clock. The semi-dysfunctional sports show is known as Two Guys at a Mike Show. Thank you very much, David Olson. Fully functional, fully functional on the other side of the glass. He is our producer, but speaking of semi-dysfunctional, I am proud to bring in my partner in semi-dysfunction. Check in via the telecommunicative phone lines out in beautiful Aurora, Illinois. It is Joel Radwanski. How are you, Joel? Uh, I'm doing spectacular, Coach. How are you doing? I'm doing outstanding. You got your shovel ready? Are you ready to hit, as David Olson called it this morning, with heavy sarcasm, Snowmageddon. Uh, I'm not looking forward to it whatsoever, Coach. I can't even explain the pain in the butt that this snow is going to be to me. I'm going to have to walk like two and a half hours to go to uh, this training that I have to go to for this new incredible job that I have. And, uh, you know, I, I, I have no problem walking down the Illinois Prairie Pass for two and a half hours to this job, this one-day training. But now I'm going to have to walk up, so I'm going to have to leave at like 3.30 in the morning. The one-day training is tomorrow? No, it's Saturday morning. Saturday. See, what I was going to do is I was just going to take the train from the city. Oh, guess what? The train will get in like 15 minutes late. I can't be late. I hate people who are late. Okay. And then I was like, oh, I'll take the bus. Well, there's no bus to this place on, on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So I have to freaking walk or pay like 50 bucks for a cab. So How about is it? possible with all of your tremendous co- uh, connections and the congeniality that you've uh, described to us that you host, you know, football weekends, people come in the house on a regular basis, you don't charge them, you're a great host and everything as the United Nations that is your uh, household, any chance somebody could give you a ride? Now, in the household, everybody's working already on Saturday. There's nothing I can do about it. Okay, so uh, now I guess the only option I have is... Um, like everybody has to be at work before eight thirty. You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's it's not a good thing. So okay. I have to go ask somebody for a ride, and that's not going to happen. I got too much price, so I'd rather just walk right. or pay the fifty bucks. All right. Let's let's hope the uh, prairie path is snowed out for you. Now, can you divulge to our co-recreational and somewhat adult-oriented audience out there exactly what the job is, or is this still privy privy at this point? Well, it, it is kind of privy privy, but uh, basically. Uh, the best thing is, is I go undercover, 
and I, and I pose as a middle-aged white man, which, Coach, I do spectacularly, unbelievably, okay? It's amazing I, how you can pull that off. And then I, I do certain things with a video camera on me, okay? And then it gets reported back, and they, they check it out, and other people do exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. All right, and so this is the, but this hour. this is similar to the television uh, gig that you had described before. You've done a little work on before. Why are you having a two and a half hour interview? This has, this is a brand new job, coach. This isn't a two and a half hour interview. Are you listening? Yeah, I am listening. It sounds exactly I like to, I have. It's going to take about two and a half hours to walk to this one day training for a I'm, job that I have going around as an, as like undercover covertly going to different businesses. Okay, and I'm going to be wearing a wire and a and a and a. Oh boy! And a, okay, and a so uh, you're you're a secret shopper, basically. Basically, yeah, but this is a high level. This is beyond anything. This is. It's not like I go into. I go into like. I really can't go into it, but I'm not like I'm not going into your typical business. Mm-hmm. I'm going into a business situation. This is awesome. Coach. On a scale of one to ten, the physical danger aspect of this potential job. Zero. I- Zero? Zero? Okay. Yeah. So the, 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 the only physical danger I have is the fact that I don't have a car and too many idiots don't know how to drive, and they're going to end up hitting me one of these days. So that's that's all I have to say about it. That's the only okay. physical danger I have is walking See, I, the streets of the city of Chicago. In defense of my inattention, I, I was getting it confused. It sounded uh, very similar to the America's uh, Best Deadbeats or whatever. Oh, the, no, 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 no. Yeah, this is, but luckily for me. I did that job, but because they saw the work that I did on there, they're like, you can flat out act. Mm-hmm. They're like, we know this ain't real. And they're like, it really looks real. So we're like, and since nobody, this hasn't been picked up and then nobody knows who the heck you are, we're going to take advantage of you before. They're, and they're like, and now because of this, I'm now in like this actor's union, hopefully because of this coach. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get, everything has worked out for me because of this job. <laughs> so I'm going to do a couple things. Make sure that uh, people aren't racist in the world, and then okay. uh, after that, hopefully, I'll be set up with some really cool gigs. Well, let me so. get out my sheet now, marking it down. Job number ninety-seven for the big dog. I got this one cool down. Job, though, isn't it? Huh? It's a cool. And, and, and yes. all I got to say is hourly. It pays extremely well. Is the best way I can tell you. Has tremendous potential. Just stay safe. It sounds like there's well, lurking. Well, coach, how could it be dangerous? It's in business situations. What do you, do you think I'm going to be carrying a knife around? Oh, yeah, I'm going to coach. Dangerous. What could be dangerous about it? I'm not quite sure because I'm still not quite sure what you're doing. But when you were describing it, it sounded like they were in businesses where there might be some shenanigans going on, maybe some problems. Yeah. Your job is to uncover it. You do uncover it. They uncover you. People could be unhappy. I'm worried about doing the show solo next week. Uh, yeah, I'm not too worried about it, Coach. Just, how about that? <laughs> okay. Maybe this you'll be doing the show solo. I might be the one that's gone. Yeah, well, who knows? You know, I, I tell you, I had a, you know interesting day at work. You have a heart attack. You're so worried about me. <laughs> I feel like your wife. I, know, I, I feel like sure. your wife all of a sudden. But, uh, I've got many of them. How yes. many do I have, folks? Yes, you do. 888-463-6748. I told you right up front in the show, folks, I told you semi-dysfunctional. I think you just experienced part of the semi and part of the dysfunction that uh, 
that goes along with this show. We apologize, or, you know, we don't apologize. That's part of the show, living through the big dog's uh, interesting triumphs and adventures as we uh, work our way through life. The big dog and a coach with you right up until 11 o'clock, 888-463-6748. Coming up in a little bit, big dog, I know you always enjoy this. Hopefully our audience will, too. I have in front of me the list of the candidates for the 2011 National Football League Hall of Fame, and you, Big Dog, are going to give an on the ledge, over the edge, and in and out, whatever you want to call it, a Knicks or an A. And this is going to be tough because a lot of them, a lot of them, I think, you know, would be thumbs up. But is there a rule how many can be voted in each year? Yeah, you can only vote six in. Oof. There's no way you can only vote six of these guys in. Okay. There's no way. There are legitimately... 12 of the 15 that I would say belong in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Especially if you can, you always talk about, uh, like, you know, the, the couple things that we, we agree on if, is the fact that how they dominated their era, you know what I mean? And, and were they truly great, you know, for like, a long period of time? And did they kind of almost like revolutionize their position in, in some sort of way? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of players on that list that totally fit those categories that. And, and do they compare well to the other players before their eras? Oh, my goodness, all these all right. guys do. On the whole entire list, it's incredible. We'll do that coming up in a little bit. 17 candidates will go thumbs up, thumbs down. A couple of them are a little bit more obscure, but on the players that our audience will mostly remember, a thumbs up, thumbs down. And then we'll try to uh, see if we can snag it down to these top six candidates. We'll have a little... Uh, okay. A little foray into that. Speaking of football, Big Dog, tomorrow, Football Friday. Got games coming up this weekend. Uh, pretty good slate. And obviously, the importance of the game increasing uh, dramatically now as the winners do go into the NFC and or AFC championship games. The final four, if you will. We got the Super Bowl coming. By the way, any, um, it's early, but have you done any preliminary Super Bowl thought process for parties? Um, that usually is a, a last minute thing, but typically, the best thing for me to do is either be at a Radwanski home or a Nuccio home for a Super Bowl party. Mm-hmm. So either my house, my brother's house, or Sonny's mom's house. That's that's It's in that triangle, and if it's any other place, trust me, the party is either way too loud, not good, not enough beer, definitely not enough bourbon, <laughs> a bunch of other stuff that's not enough, too, that I can't really mention on there. Yeah. The too loud part can definitely be, uh, you know, Super Bowl parties are fun, but if you actually want to watch the game mm-hmm. sometimes you know the whole super bowl it becomes more of an event for the hardcore guys like this that really want to get into the game the two greatest teams theoretically anyways in the nfl battling for the ultimate trophy it can um sometimes the game can become secondary to all the auspices going on around it and, and, and it all depends because uh, if you're going to get upset that children are over when people are throwing down hundred dollar bills gambling on each individual play mm-hmm. you know i mean then please don't i mean CC knows what a hundred dollar bill is, Coach. My buddy's daughter. You know what I mean? Yeah. And she under now she understands, you know, like what the big is and all that other stuff. I think this like her learning the you know how people pay interest when they don't pay bets oftentimes. Mm-hmm. You know, as a five year old, that can do that can do a lot for a young child's brain. As long as she's not learning to tuck the the hundred dollar bills anywhere. No, Coach, come on. We're, we're she's going to be owning that team, not cheering on the sideline. Okay? Ah, beautiful. Beautiful. I love the administrative aspect. Yes, that's right.
Yeah, speaking of administrative aspect, by the way, before we get quickly down to the uh, four games on the docket, a lot going on in the NFL, people being hired, people being fired. You almost need a program to keep track of who's coming where, who's going to which team, Big Dog. I don't know, some of the recent things, the last couple of days, uh, the Oakland Raiders bring in a general manager, and uh, they fire uh, Reggie McKenzie, right, as the general manager? Yeah, yeah, there's a there's a lot going on over there. And Hugh Jackson got fired, is, is that right? Yes, which was yeah. a bit of a surprise. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what they're doing over there in Raider Nation, but then you know what, let's, let's face it, Hugh Jackson seemed like he was getting a lot out of that team and they seemed like they played a little better than they were. But then again, they set the record for most penalties and most penalty yards in the history of the NFL. Your coach has to go after a season like that. Like, if you if you have like a negative – 16, like if you average more than one turnover a game as a coach or you set the record for penalties, mm-hmm. sometimes you just they just have to cut you even if you actually are a decent coach. That's just I, the way the pro professional sports are, coach. I think he had three things. I agree with you completely. I, I think you know the penalties, which people will often say indicates lack of discipline. Two, you bring a general manager comes in and he's not you know, your guy, and then three, and probably most importantly, they, uh, although they looked promising during the regular season, finally, the Oakland Raiders are turning it around. They had a disappointing end. So a bad end, a lot of penalties, new GM, pretty good coach, pretty good uh, coach, Hugh Jackson, gone. Yeah, and, you know, it's too bad, too, because I really thought that there could have been, hopefully, a chance to keep a connection to Al Davis around the Raiders for a long time, and hopefully the Raiders, who are, are if you're a, a, a football like historian and fan, is like one. If they're a legendary team, and I was kind of hoping to keep a connection to Al Davis with Hugh Jackson around, but they did the typical Raiders thing and the Al Davis thing and got rid of a coach after what about 18 months? That's yeah. what they do. They well, coach a season and a half and then they get rid of them. Get so, used to it. Get used to it from because our inside sources tell us that uh, Al Davis, before he passed away, he met with his lawyers actually in his will. Okay. In his will, he has certain stipulations where even though he's dead, he can still fire coaches and fire GMs. Reggie McKenzie, the current GM, he doesn't realize it. But in about 18 months, he'll be gone. Oh, no. Who's going to do Do we at least know who the next coach of the NGM of the Oakland Raiders is? No, no, no. I think in the will, he left that the current management can hire whoever they want. But in Al Davis's will, he has set the right over the next 20 years. At different interspersed times, he will fire people even though he's dead. Because, uh, like, if you can find out your name is on that list yes. and you're, like, the GM of of the, of the Broncos at this mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. like, if you're, like, Elway, like, hey, I'm the next, uh, you know, Raiders GM. <laughs> Just trade all your players from the Broncos to the Raiders for nothing. Interesting. Not, not a bad deal. If that story leaks out, if that particular paper leaks out, they could work that way. Okay, that sounds pretty goofy, Coach. Yeah, Mike Malarkey, new head of the Jacksonville uh, Jaguars. Brian Schottenheimer, who I think is a... Pretty darn good offensive coordinator. The New York Jets let him go. Uh, and, of course, our beloved Chicago Bears, Big Doug, still looking for a general manager and what we are calling, apparently, and a couple other teams, the, the passing game coordinator. So so what is this? Mike Tyson's offense corner, but whenever they call a pass, okay, it's up to you. What are we going to call? So is it going to be kind of obvious on the sideline whenever Mike Tyson asks the passing coordinator what we should call? Uh, no, I don't think it'll I work that way. I know obviously it ain't going to work that way. It ain't going to yeah. be that simple. But I do think it's a little asinine. I don't understand that. Well, you got to, you know, on the other hand, it's the age of specialty with players, right? You got, you know, you got defensive specialists, you got special teams players, you got third down specialists, different packages. Same things happening with coaching as the game gets more intricate. 
You know, you got uh, you know the, the running game. You got to bring in a specialist for the passing. He'll probably okay. do most of his work in the practices during the week, and then you know it can only be one guy calling the plays, obviously. Okay, so I, I, okay, I'm just going to figure this one out. I just want to make sure that this part of the actualization of the game plan happens. That uh, whoever is the the protect the quarterback specialist, because I don't think they've hired one of those yet. Hopefully, they figure out whose job that is between the passing coordinator and the offense coordinator and the offensive line coach, because I want Jay Cutler to be able to drop back next year, plant his right foot in that, and chuck it downfield a couple times without having to worry about getting his head knocked in. Well, they will. They will. If you if you heard Mike Tice's offensive philosophy, what he said is they're going to, uh, you know, they're going to they're going to dedicate to the run. They want to be a power running game, but they want to throw the ball down the. Or, no, the exact word we want to expose. A strong running game mixed in with an explosive passing game. So I don't think you're going to see the dinks and dunks much. It's going to be running, and then it's going to be play action, and I think you'll be happy with it because Cutler, I think, when he throws the ball next year, it's going to be uh, for significant yardage. Yeah, and I hope it's clean. I, I want it to be clean when he's throwing the ball. And, and Coach, when I always like harp on, please, Bears, run the football and all that, I, I don't mean to have been – I do want them to run it a lot in, in terms of attempts because they're ahead and they're finishing off the game. But all I really care about is if they run it well on, like, third and short and on the goal line and when they really need a first down. Uh, you know, I really don't care about that. I don't care if they pass more than they run, but when the Bears decide to line it up and buckle it up and hit people in the mouth, it, it's effective. Because we had, it, the football is not like it was when I was growing up anymore. And I, I, I'm, every year it gets more passing and passing heavy. And, and think about how this year, Coach, remember the first week? You know, I always remember when I had some bad predictions. First week, I was like, this could be the year of a quarterback. And you're like, hold on, who cares if Tom Brady threw for 500 all that. It was. Was it the best year of a quarterback? It was a guy who didn't even throw for 5,000 yards, and three other quarterbacks did. Truly an amazing. I mean, the, the fo- football is going in, in a new direction. So it's almost like it's, it's like your running game is there just to make sure your quarterback is protected and you can get short first down. Mm-hmm. And that's all your running game is for nowadays. And if you can do that effectively, and if you have Aaron Rodgers or Jay Cutler can make that next step, you have a great offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of which, we're going we're gonna to see that uh, in living color and living person in truithity, if you will. Truithity. <laughs> yeah, I like okay, that. That's ahead, not bad. <laughs> that's not bad. It's not a word, but you know, in truithity. David Olson, mark that down. See if we can come up with that here. In truithity, you're going to see that this weekend because you're going to see teams that throw the ball down the field, those 5,000-yard passing teams like you mentioned, <laughs> i.e. the Green Bay Packers, i.e. the New Orleans Saints, uh, i.e. the New England Patriots to some extent. But you've got some contrasting teams that aren't quite a sexy big dog but that have been successful, and we're talking teams like the San Francisco 49ers and, of course, the uh Baltimore Ravens would be a couple examples of that. So a little contrast, and we'll see which styles win. Yeah, it's, it's the, the quarterback matchups in all these games are extremely intriguing. Of course, you have the, the T.J. Yates, who's a rookie, and we're talking about a rookie who on, like, November 1st, right before Matt Schaub would have broke his foot, no one in the NFL besides the diehards knew who T.J. TJ Yates was. And he has a playoff victory under his belt this year, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, think about that, Coach. That's crazy. And he goes up against another guy who has a playoff victory every single year in his career, yet he's the most maligned quarterback. <laughs> yeah, think about it. I Joe saw he got ticked off. He's, he sent some tweet out or something. Joe Flacco, uh, pretty good quarterback. Not great, but a pretty good quarterback. He sent some tweet out. Yeah, we'll probably win this weekend, and no one will give me any credit. 
Yeah, he said. Yeah, he's been whining and complaining. He should shut up. He yes. definitely should just yeah, just play yeah. football. And, and then the other AFC matchup. Are you kidding me? Tom Brady versus Tim Tebow. I don't have to go on and on about that. If you want Tim Tebow talk, just turn on ESPN because they're going to have 59 of the next 60 minutes on it. So I don't have to go. And then <laughs> we all know about Tom Brady. And then in the NFC, are you kidding me? Two two Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. Eli Manning just short of 5,000 yards. You know, when we talk about Eli Manning and Rodgers didn't throw for 5,000 yards this year, yet if you look at their seasons, they had two of the greatest seasons ever. Set the record for Eli court. Manning, set the record for fourth quarter touchdowns. Yeah, 14, and then he threw another one last week. And uh, the Packers, they shouldn't play scared, but uh, they they better know they're in for a freaking football game on, on Sunday. Now, the one so. quarterback matchup that is not that great is the first one Saturday afternoon at 3.30, an apparent mismatch, at least... At the quarterback position. Well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go there, coach. Because look at that, look at that quarterback matchup. Okay, this, this is a, let's just explain like the difference. Okay, it's just a cool quarterback matchup for the for the answer of the weekend. Cool. You have a guy who's thrown for the most yards in the history of the game, who plays the game as free and as controlling and the, totally driven behind him. Okay, it's Drew Brees leading the New Orleans offense. And then the, the the other guy is the number one overall draft pick, had all the stuff going for him. And finally, he's becoming a decent quarterback in the NFL because he doesn't have to do anything in the offense. So it's like the complete opposite of what a quarterback is in the NFL, yet you can win either A, either way if uh, all the players around you execute. Yeah, but you're not in any way comparing the effectiveness of the two. I mean, you are not oh, are denying you huge. No, no, no. My whole point was that is, you're, this is the year that if any year in the history of football, think about it, he's thrown for the most yards ever. It's been Drew Brees. One day it's Jeffrey Henderson, it's Robert Meacham, then it's Marcus Colston, then it's Lance Moore, then it's, well, Jimmy Graham giving him 80 yards every game and, and Darren Sproles every game. But so it's like this quarterback where, the whole New Orleans Saints were like, Drew Brees go in the game for us. And then the the 49ers are like, Alex Smith, whatever you do, do not lose this game for us. Everybody else will make plays. Don't do anything stupid. So my point is the first game of this weekend is the epitome of contrasting style mm-hmm. in terms of what quarterbacks do yeah. in order to to win a football game mm-hmm. is what, I'm, what I was getting at. Yeah. And not just quarterbacks, teams. How they, They've both been very effective, but how they – win their game. We'll see which style comes out to advantage. You know, even as you're, you're breaking down those two quarterbacks, their names, their names alone almost kind of symbolize the way they play. Think about it. Drew Brees, and then yeah. you've got Alex Smith. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the names kind of symbolize the exact style of quarterback they are, but it's clearly advantage New Orleans in the QB spot, but uh, who's going to bet against the coach of the year, Jim Harbaugh? What is the point spread on that game? But uh, The Saints I don't know if it's what it was, but it went off on Monday morning at three and a half. Saints three and a half point favorite. And it's at Frisco. It's at it's at uh, San Fran. And I keep on hearing these idiots saying, "Oh, they're watering down the field, making it muddy in San Fran." No, they're not. San Francisco is making sure that their pass rushers have a clean, fast track to get after Drew Brees. And if they do it any other way, they're dumb. That's no joke. Interesting. I thought I'd throw that out there, coach. And that line has not moved. It's still New Orleans by three and a half. Still three and a half. Okay. Interesting. David Olson, let me ask you now, last week, and you are our director of media relations, uh, 
the wild card game involving the Denver Broncos set the record for, I think, for the last 18 years, the most wild, most watched game Saturday night. New England versus Denver, Tebow Media, Tom Brady. Oh I'm, I'm kind of asking a stupid question, but do you expect the ratings to be off the charts Saturday night game? Uh, yeah, I, the, the ratings will be big. I don't think they're going to be as big as last week just because it's being played on Saturday night, but mm-hmm. they're going to be big ratings. Yeah, yeah, sure. Saturday night is the worst time of the week for television ratings, right? Isn't that, isn't uh, that what's, it's, uh, it's actually Friday night is the worst okay. night of the week, but I, I don't, I don't, I think they're going to be big numbers, but I don't think they're going to be as big as they were last week. Yes, yeah, I, I, I could be wrong. I could be night. wrong, but. Mm-hmm. Yes, the Sunday between four to seven, you know, I mean, that's, that's, everybody's watching TV at that point. I think, I don't think I've ever been not watching TV unless I was actually playing a sport on Sunday at that point. You know, I, I was thinking about this as I'm watching the great game last week, Denver and, um, Pittsburgh and the second game. Is it just me, Big Dog, or typically? Does it seem like almost on a routine basis that last game on Sunday night is all, or, yeah, our early Sunday evening is always a great game. It's one of the best of the four. Yeah, it, it is. But they do try to put because think about it. They have like five or six matchups to choose from. You know, or maybe not that many because it's between each conference and it's the late game. But they'll have like two to four matchups to choose from, so they can pick a good matchup. And also, don't forget, if it isn't our local team, they switch to the good game, coach. I was talking more of the playoffs. When the, the when the playoffs oh, I, I, start, the first two weeks, when you got the two games on Saturday, two on Sunday, as I'm watching the Denver-Pittsburgh game, I'm just thinking, boy, it just seems like that last one, maybe it's something about the atmosphere of a winter Sunday evening where you're kind of hunkering down, but it always seems like that's a pretty good game. I'd have to agree with you. I mean, I, I actually was thinking about where I was at different playoff games. I was watching this one thing, and I thought, oh, this is the greatest divisional game since, and they started going back and. The crazy thing is, coaches, I actually remember where I was for most of those games and the people who are with me. And, I, and I'm starting to realize that I have based my whole entire life around the sport of football. Legitimate. If you, not only when you ask, it's so funny when you are, you're always like, oh, Joel, it's so funny. You can pick out whatever the championship game and blah, 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 and tell the score and who is the hero. Mm-hmm. I can also tell you the house I was at, everybody that I was there with and the beer I was drinking that day. And, well, I have to admit, the I can't remember as much when it's the Jack Daniels I was drinking, Coach. <laughs> so, I, I have realized that for over my whole entire course of my life, it's uh-huh. evolved around football since I found out Walter Payton has, was alive. So depending on your alcoholic preferences at the time, so goes your short-term and or long-term football memory. Yes, that's, I can give you a lot yes. more descriptive stuff <laughs> of the mid-80s stuff because by, I, I was you know, I was watching it with my, my dad and my brother at the yeah. time, so. <laughs> Let that be a lesson to all the young kids out there. Hey, we got an email in from Surly Old Man, the football fan. Surly Old Man wants to know the Reggie McKenzie we were talking about. And I had the same question, and I okay. think I know the answer to this. The Reggie McKenzie that we were talking about that just recently got named general manager of the Oakland Raiders, uh, he wants to know, is that the Reggie McKenzie that was the Hall of Fame blocker for o- or Renthiel James Simpson? No, 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 no. It wasn't that guy. It was the other Reggie McKenzie. I'm almost positive. I'm assuming that was the Raider and the Washington Redskins. That Reggie McKenzie. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure you're right because I remember when I first heard it too. I thought, man, that guy. He's one of the best offensive linemen I ever saw. I you know, I haven't heard of him in a long time. That's cool that he's a general manager, great guy. You know, but but it's a different Reggie McKenzie. 
Yeah, yeah, it was a Reggie McKenzie that um that played in the 1980s, okay. and I'm going to go to a pro football run for right now. Was, he, sure was he a wide, wide receiver, I think? Uh, if I remember him right, he was like a defensive back. Mm-hmm. Now, you do, are you young enough to remember the Hall of Famer? And we're going to get to the Hall of Fame list here in a second. Talking a little football, big dog and a coach. You want to check in? Phone lines are open. We'd love to hear from you. 888 Tomorrow we play Beat the Schmoes football Friday. We break it down, uh, or we simply break down a little bit of both probably on tomorrow's show. But, uh, do you remember, Big Dog, the Hall of Famer Reggie McKenzie blocking for an O.J. Simpson? Um, you know, yeah, he played. Uh, I do remember because that was right at the end of, like, right at the end of his career. I was just, uh, like, becoming a football fan, so mm-hmm. I remember him. He was definitely, like, an all-pro player, except uh, I remember he was, like, wasn't he part of the whole, like, remember when Seattle went out and bought a bunch of free agents and they got, like, Franco Harris and all those guys? Was he part of all that? Uh, I don't remember that. Okay. Don't remember but, that. Yeah, let me see. Reggie McKenzie. Let me, but let he me he was like, he was the official on-field chauffeur. <clears throat> I think for pretty much the entire career of O.J. Simpson. We all know the stuff that's going on with O.J. Simpson. Let us not forget. I'm not forgiving. But let us not forget O.J. Simpson as an NFL running back, one of the best I ever saw. This kid, Reggie McKenzie, unlike the offensive linemen, who were the guys that Noah Jackson and uh, Review story to a lesser extent who, you know, made their fame blocking for Walter Payton. Noah Jackson never hit anybody. Big body never hit it. Reggie McKenzie would pancake people. He was an outstanding run blocker, a true Hall of Famer. And uh, remember, uh, they decided uh, to draft local high school standout Dennis, never blocked a lick in the pros. That was his nickname, never blocked a lick. Really? Taking a shot at Dennis Lick, huh? Oh, I'm sorry. I well, thought he was pretty good. St. Rita High School, Wisconsin's very own. Yeah, okay, but still, that was the best offensive lineman that Peyton had up until all of a sudden you got Hilgenberg, Bortz, and Horn, yeah. Bayer. So, yeah. Oh, okay, I looked it up, and there are the two Reggie McKenzies, and you are right, Coach. It is. He was he played for Buffalo all those mm-hmm. years, and he did go out and sign at Seattle for a huge contract, and guess what? He sucked. And the other, there's another Reggie McKenzie. And he played defensive back linebacker for the Raiders. Okay. And he eventually played one year with San Francisco, but yeah. not the Redskins. That's yeah. where I thought he played his last year with. Well, we got that cleared up for emailer Surly Old Man, the football fan. I like that. We haven't heard from him. But uh, if anybody else wants to email in and your name is not Surly Old Man, the football fan, you can email us at Mike. Two guys, M-I-C, and the number two, Mike, two guys, at AOL.com. After the show yesterday, Big Doe, we did get a few people. Some that I wouldn't mind partaking with and a few that look a little shady that did offer their services to chaperone us and or accompany us on our Las Vegas trip that we may be taking down the road. Um, I don't think anybody is, would even want to think about chaperone and a word with me because if you honestly wanted to do that, which meant that you would have to tell me, you know, when to be where and where to go there, you would end up like duct tape. <laughs> And found on Facebook. Okay, I'd be, I'd have assault charges against me afterwards. It would not be fun. <laughs> and by the way, have you heard of that story? What I just, what I just, I, you hear about this guy in the on the south side of the city of Chicago? No. His, his daughter acted up, so he duct taped her hands and feet together and put duct tape on her mouth oh, and boy. posted the picture on Facebook. Oh boy. He's looking at like ten years. 
That's... And everybody in the neighborhood, you know, like, oh, he's such a nice boy. I never thought a thing. They were like, he was just joking. He's a good guy. It's unbelievable, like, the outcry that's going on about this now. I have not heard that, but that's uh, just, you know, beyond beyond so, cruelty and beyond stupidity to post it up on Facebook. Yes, yes. So, that's amazing. All right. Well, uh, at any rate, there is a guy named Bruce, by the way, who I won't get into the particulars of the email, Big Dog, but let's just say listener Bruce, a little bit too anxious to accompany you in particular to Las Vegas. I'm fast, Coach. I'm not faster than you might think. <laughs> Why do I get the feeling if we go, I would – we go to like the first casino, and I might not see you until like twenty minutes before the flight leaving. I I don't see that happening, Coach. We definitely hang. We would definitely hang out. I I might end up, you know, you know, at a, a back rack table, you know, playing, <laughs> you know, at anywhere where they had the best drink services where I'm going in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the gambling's so like, gambling's got to be good, but the drink service is a key. Yeah, I could care less about the gambling in Las Vegas. <laughs> I don't get off on gambling. Seriously, that's like throwing money away. At least I know when I'm where I'm putting the money away when I'm drinking. At least I know I'm going to get something out of it. Uh-huh. All right. I like that. 888-463-6748. Big Dog and a Coach uh, at your service right up until 11 o'clock. Real quick because I want to get to a little uh, NBA basketball and um, little college hoops last night. Is of course, my favorite team lost in another heartbreaker, Big Dog. But we mentioned we'd oh, real quick. that game was horrible. Please. Painful. I can't even imagine. I can't imagine what has a Northwestern fan. Absolutely seriously. painful. We'll talk about that. But just to finish our football thoughts here, and tomorrow the Big Dog and uh, David Olson will be breaking down the games uh, in a little bit more in-depth. Uh, all four of the games will make our predictions and, of course, the another award-winning segment of Beat the Schmoes. But real quick, the NFL Hall of Fame, 17 nominees, pretty good list. Big Dog, uh, before picking the final six, just in general, if you, thumbs up or thumbs down on each guy if you think they are deserving. And remember, we're not talking about good players. We are talking about the elite of the elite. In fact, the Hall of Fame. Jerome Bettis, Pittsburgh Steelers running back. Yes. David Olson says no. Tim Brown, wide receiver and kick returner for the Rams, Pittsburgh Steelers for a little bit. Or, I'm sorry, Rams and the Raiders. No, Tim Brown? Yep. For the Raiders. Yes. He didn't play for the Rams. Sorry about that. Okay. Thumb up, thumb on the ledge, over the edge. He's one of the greatest receivers in the history of the game. So you'd put Tim Brown in? Absolutely. So a couple of Notre Dameers right there, right? Brown and Bettis? Mm-hmm. All right, so Bettis not in, Brown in. How about Chris Carter, wide receiver, Minnesota Vikings, now an ESPN personality? Personality. Yeah. Okay, you agree with uh, David Olson on that one. I'm with you guys on that one. Dermonte Dawson, longtime old man river center for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Absolutely, yes. I think so, too. That guy was all pro. I don't know how many times, but I'm about to go find it out right now. Mm-hmm. Blocking for some of those great Pittsburgh Steelers teams in the trenches. Absolutely made all the line calls. How about Chris Dolman? Defensive end, Minnesota Vikings drove the Chicago Bears crazy for the better part of a decade. Uh, fourth all-time in in sacks, yes. Played for the Falcons a little bit. Played for the 49ers. Big Dog says, yay, producer David Olson. Didn't even hear what it was. I was looking up Dermonte Dawson's oh. stats. How about stats for what stats are there for a center? Well, no, no, he was a uh, seven-time Pro Bowler, six-time first-team All-Pro. That's, that's pretty good. That's six-time first-team All-Pro. I mean, that's 
awesome. That means for six years he was the best center in the game of football. That's mm-hmm. a Hall of Famer right there. Remember now, remember, we're going to have to limit it down to the final. You said they're only allowed to pick six each year, right? Yeah, I know. That's why. I, okay. that's what, what I'm saying is a lot of these guys are deserving to get in, and a lot of them aren't going to, definitely not going to get in this year. Okay. Uh, Kevin Green, the wild-eyed, wild-haired linebacker of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Call him a linebacker. Call him a defensive end. Steelers play a little bit for the Panthers, the Rams, and the 49ers as well. He's in the top five sacks all time. Uh, I'm going to have to say yes. Yeah, yeah not, not on the first ballot, though. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah, Kevin Green is third in sacks with 160. <laughs> that's, that's unreal. Yeah, I know the stat is there, but, you know, we watched him play for a number of years. You know, very good player. I don't know that I'd put And on a lot of real, real good defenses. That's true. Every year he was on good defenses. How about 96, a guy? Remember the '96 Carolina team that went to the that went to the NFC Championship game with Kevin Green just dominating coach. Mm-hmm. So I mean, no, look, he led the league in sacks that year. He led the league in sacks a bunch of times and forced fumbles for his career mm-hmm. twenty three, which is pretty freaking good. Had a memorable, dismal performance on Saturday Night Live. You think they'll hold that against him? Yes. <laughs> that could be the tiebreaker, huh? Yes, definitely. What about a guy similar, somewhat similar in playing style, uh, physically not quite the same? One's white, one's black, one had long hair, one had short hair. But how about Charles Haley? Again, a linebacker slash defensive end, 49ers, Dallas Cowboys. Okay, now I, I, I'm going to tell you this. I think Charles Haley deserves it more than both Chris Dolman and Kevin Green. And Charles Haley is going to be nowhere near them on the sack list. As a matter of fact, I'm looking. Charles Haley is 25th all-time in sacks. But Charles Haley played phenomenal in championship games and in Super Bowls. He won five Super Bowls, so he has 160 sacks less than Kevin Green and 50 less than Chris Dolman, and I still I would have Haley before both of those guys. Hmm. He won't get in simply because of the fact that the sports writers in San Francisco and Dallas both have a beef with the guy. Why Why should they? He gave them the best quotes of anybody I, on those organizations. The... Doesn't that crack you up, David? You're exactly right. So, so he, I, he, To me, he's a guy that's going to get in by the Veterans Committee when all is said oh. and done, like down the road. Okay, you know, you might be right about that. And the funny thing is... I, why would a sports writer have anything against him when all the guy did was tell the truth and give you great quotes? Who cares if he was honored? You know, he didn't ever, like, lie or do stupid stuff. I, I, I like Charles Haley. I would have him on my team every day. He'd be like your sergeant. You know nobody would be messing up if Charles Haley was on your team. He would keep make sure everybody was acting right. No, that's a... No, it's no surprise he won five Super Bowls. I think we're finding out as we go through this list to pick just six is going to really be an interesting uh, yeah. process of elimination. Next up on the line, defensive tackle. Played for only one team in his NFL career, Kennedy Cortez, or some people likes to call him Cortez Kennedy. You know what? He was an all-pro probably like five times, and he was the most dominant defensive tackle in his era. And you know what? We keep on awarding like these defensive linemen who get sacks into the Hall of Fame when Cortez Kennedy probably changed the game more than even those guys did. The reason why other guys can get sacks was on first and second down. You couldn't run on the Seahawks for 10 years. It, I'm gonna, when we limit it down to six, he's going to be on the outside, but I think he's a Hall of Fame talent coach. I'm, I'm more with David Olson, who immediately went two thumbs up. When I looked at this list, 
Uh, I'm more with David. He might be number one on the list. I think Cortez Kennedy is automatic. I I agree. You don't even look at his stats. Don't look at it. Just remember that nobody ran on Seattle for 10 years while he was in the middle. Even on a more simplistic basis, he's one of the, probably one of the five greatest defensive linemen of all time. Defensive tackles? If we're going defensive tackles, yeah. What did I say? Yeah, defensive tackles, yes. If you're talking defensive tackles, you're looking at him. Merlin Olsen. Merlin Olsen. Um, right, well, let, wow, let, let's move on. Suffice it to say, Cortez Kennedy uh, should be it. Here's an interesting one. This is a guy that whew, could be on the cusp. The running back for the New England Patriots, New York Jets, Curtis Martin. Where was he from? Oklahoma State? Uh, I forget Curtis, his college career. but Curtis, my favorite, Martin. Oh, man, this is killing me. I, and I know it in the post. It was not a major play. college, right? No, it was not. It was not a major college, okay. and I'll find out. Right well, you now. know what? Let's not worry about that. Curtis I, I Martin, know. David Olson says in. He was a phenomenal running back, big dog, a slasher, if you will. Coach, he's like fourth all time in yards. Curtis Martin is absolutely in. Curtis Martin, Martin fourth all time with uh, fourteen thousand yards. So that, that's why okay. I think he's in. By the way, Jerome Bettis. He's sixth all time with thirteen thousand six hundred, right behind uh, Curtis Martin. Interesting, but you've and, got him. You've got him not in on this ballot. You know what? Right when I saw it, I'm like, oh man, this guy. You know, uh, uh, I would put Kurt Mar- Curtis Martin in ahead of Jerome Bettis, even though Jerome Bettis won Super Bowl or a Super Bowl. Uh, but Curtis Martin, I thought was a better player. He really mm-hmm. was better than Jerome Bettis. He went to Pittsburgh, and now it all I, now it hits me right when I saw Pittsburgh. Of the seven seventeen on the list, uh, there are coach coaches are part. You can still just name six people. Period. Be they right players, coach, administrator. Oh, no, 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 just six players. Oh, players. Okay, so Bill Parcells yeah, next. Coaches, yeah, the coaches and everybody else is whether they okay. make it or not. There's no limit or okay. number on those. So Bill Parcells is up for it. I would think he's an automatic. Right? Even no, he's been, he's been up for it before and he didn't get in. Really? Yeah. Well you, well, you talk about pain in the asses. Well, I understand that, but I mean, come on. I mean, you know, of course, Bill Parcells would be the first to tell you he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but. Maybe maybe it has something to do with the fact that he isn't done. You know what I mean? Well, he just got out of football again and everybody, they're talking about him going back again, so. That would that would be the only reason. Like, if he officially retired, he probably would be voted in. Like, if he was like, I'm done with football forever. I'm never doing anything else. Mm-hmm. They'd vote him in the next. All right. But bottom line is, our our mission right now is to pick out the six players. Wide receiver: Buffalo Bills, Washington Redskins, Andre Reed. Okay, now Andre Reed's statistics are ridiculous. But if you look at the era that he was in, he was only a top your wide receiver, okay? He never dominated. He was the benefit of the most dynamic offense in the early 90s, the, the no-huddle Buffalo Bills scheme. He had James Lofton on the other side, Ian McKellen at tight end, Thermal Thomas at, at running back, Jim Kelly flinging the ball around. Andre Reid would be a way, way, way down the line, and I would say no, even though he probably has like the fourth or fifth most yards ever in the history of the NFL as a receiver, and I'm going to mm-hmm. find that out right now, Coach. So that I would say no on Andre Reid. Maybe down the line, but definitely not this year. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. All right. Next, uh, he's just to clear. He's tenth in all time in receptions, twelfth in receiving yards, and twelfth in receiving touchdowns. Mm-hmm. And okay. And you know what's going to happen, uh, David? That ten years from now, he's going to be about thirtieth. Right. Right. And you Lofton. Know, you know Lofton's I mean? already in, isn't he? 
Yeah, well, Lofton was better than Andre Reed. Yes, he was. I'm, yeah, James Lofton was, I mean, he was the first, I shouldn't say the first, but he was the bridge after, like, Bob Hayes and Paul Warfield of the greatest downfield threat of the late 70s all the way to the early 90s in mm-hmm. football. Not just downfield, but he was also a great, you know, if it's third and 17, he'd snag the ball for 20 yards. He was a great mid-range. Oh. Right? I, I put him in the top, mm, yeah, maybe top five receivers I ever saw play. Yeah, I would, I would, uh, I would agree with you on that. Yeah. I'm not knocking Andre Reid. I take him on. Okay. He beat the yeah, best wow. receiver the Bears have had since Johnny Morris. Let's just face it. Yeah. The Bears have had nothing as good as Andre Reid. Obviously, with this list, we're separating. They're all great players. We're trying to separate oh. the best of the best. Offensive lineman tackle New Orleans Saints. Cup of coffee with the Kansas City Chiefs. Willie Ruff. Double thumbs Dominant. up from a David Olson. Dominant. Absolutely. Absolutely. Willie Rofe belongs in the Hall of Fame. Okay. We have, seem to have a uh, certain penchant for alignment on this particular show. I don't know if it's just us. You know how hard it is to be a lineman that yeah. even gets consideration? It's a joke that they don't. I hear you. So that, that that's what I'm getting at, Coach. And I'm just going to say, uh, only only three first-team all-pros, but he had 12 pro Bowls. That's pretty good, Coach. But always, I would have thought he had more first-team all-pros than that, but he was going up against a lot of that time with Walter Jones of the Seahawks, who mm-hmm. will be considered for all the same consideration one day, too. I'm going to package the next two guys together, and then we'll see if we can get it down to 688-463-6748. Our phone number here if you want to comment on some of the big dogs' analysis here, uh, or David Olson's on the NFL Hall of Fame, in or out, or on the bubble. Final two guys, big dog, Will Shields from the KC Chief, Aeneas Wilson, who played for the Cardinals. Aeneas uh, Williams. What did I say? Wilson. Sorry. You're thinking Aeneas. of Adrian Wilson, who is now playing the same position as Aeneas Williams. Aeneas Williams. Both good players, but can we say if we say neither of them are uh, quite up to the rest of this list? You know, Aeneas Williams was phenomenal. If he wasn't playing for the Arizona Cardinals, we probably would have. He would, And if he had more of a Deion Sanders-type attitude, we would probably give him a lot more credit for that. Mm-hmm. And, and Coach Will Shield is the greatest guard. Everybody talks about Steve Hutchinson, the guy still playing for the for the Vikings. I, he's not any better than, than Will Shields. and I think Will Shields deserves to be in the Hall of Fame also. Oh, okay. he, I, mean, yeah, I really okay. do think so. He's, when he was at Nebraska, if you remember what he did there, that guy was like, I don't know, he was, what, he was picked like in the first like 10 picks. So he's awesome, Coach. That guy's right. one of those guys that lived up to everything he was supposed and to do. Played- 13 years all with the same team in the trenches, the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll put Will Shields back on the list. All right, and, big and dog, look according to how great, Look how great the Chiefs were during that time, during his 13 years. They always had one of the top offenses in the game of football, mm-hmm. always, running away. Okay. I think he's not going to get in first ballot just because of the name recognition. You're, you're right. He ain't getting in the first ballot. When we, when we we Now we have to – can you tell us how many that uh, – that we have to determine from. Yeah, here's what I've got in automatically based on our vote. And I don't know if we're getting an official vote this year. I'm still waiting for the notification. I won't stay up too late, trust me. Uh, we got four guys automatically in. Cortez Kennedy, Curtis Martin, Dermonte Dawson, and Will Rolfe. On the fence, Charles Haley, Kevin Green, Chris Dolman, Chris Carter. I don't know, did we... Was Carter in oh, automatic? Chris Carter's got to be in. Coach. Okay, so that leaves there. There's five. So we can now pick only one from Will Shields, Aeneas Williams, Jerome Bettis, Chris Dolman, Kevin Green, 
Charles Hale. The only guy we've really counted as definitively out is Andre Reed. And you forgot Tim Brown. Ooh. Yeah, that's what Tim Brown's got to be in, Coach. So there's your six. Yeah, Tim Brown can and be, Chris but can Carter. You see, can you see Tim Brown and Chris Carter both going in? Uh, 2,500 receptions? <laughs> I mean, they're like the, they're the second and third or third and fourth best receivers in the history of the game. If you look at their stats, I bet they're just absolutely incredible. I'm, I'm, I'm going to look at them here now, but definitely, when you talk about um, like the all-time leaders in, in receptions and all that other stuff, they're right at the top. So, all right. So there, there's our six that would leave. So Charles Haley, Kevin Green, the great Chris Dolson, Dolman, Jerome Bettis, Aeneas Williams, and Will Shields would have to wait for another year, according to our voting. Yeah. So right here, Chris Carter, eleven hundred one. Tim Brown, one thousand ninety four catches. So that is uh, fourth and fifth all time coach, and nobody is coming up on them anytime soon whatsoever. They're going to be holding at fourth and fifth. For at least the next ten years, because no active player besides mm-hmm. Derek Mason is anywhere within like three hundred catches of him. And then when you talk about most touchdown catches of all time, fourth and sixth, and Chris Carter is one hundred and thirty. Tim Brown is a hundred, and nobody is coming anywhere near them anytime soon because Randy Moss is retired. Besides Antonio Gates, believe it or not, was seventy six, so he can actually come up on him pretty quick. So yeah, those two got to go in. They should. Both of them have should have been in in previous years. Think about it. How did Tim Brown and Chris Carter not get in and Richard Dett got in last year? It's a good point. I, I thought that was actually good voting mm-hmm. because, and somebody has mentioned this. They were like, they had to get, Dett was a, a Hall of Famer. And some of the panelists feared that if Richard Dett didn't get in last year, he was never going to get in because of uh, the Hall of Fame ballots that were coming up now. Mm-hmm. And they knew that Chris Carter and Tim Brown would be able to get in at any other ballot and any other Interesting. Time. So that, that thinking starts to take place. It's not mm-hmm. just as cut and dried as we think, black and white as we think. Excellent job, Big Dog. Well done. Uh, good scintillating analysis. And uh, for being our guest today and for breaking that down, David Olson, our producer, is sending you a copy of one of the hit books from last year, Highlights of the 2011 Congressional Hearings. Oh, Coach, believe it or not, that stuff is really good. If you know, the way when you're watching it, it seems pretty boring. But if you go back like three years and find yeah. out what those SOPs said and what really happened, <laughs> wow. No, no, seriously, it's like, you know, watching classic sports, you're a nerd, go get a life. But watching classic congressional hearings, my goodness. Yeah, but this you is a book. Not- you're going to be reading about them. I don't, I don't think it reads as well as it looks. No, I trust me. I've actually read a lot of transcripts before, okay. and uh, you know, if you actually have a good imagination, <laughs> yes, if you just read transcripts, they're boring. If you can actually picture like this guy like sweating as he's being questioned, this stuff, and really squirming <laughs> in his seat, transcripts can become awesome. You know, I'm waiting for the sarcasm, David Olson. I actually, honestly, think the big dog is being serious about this. They uh, actually read the book. Do you know how many like uh, like Mitchell reports and Sandusky stuff that there is on the internet to to read? Okay. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of By the way, the, the pictorial chapter of uh, top congressional filibusters from last year is particularly scintillating part of the book. You don't even get me started on filibusters, yeah. Coach. It's either that or the one we gave to uh, young Jack Washer, which was Anthony Weiner, the year in pictures. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> has, do you think that guy has gone a minute in his life without regret? No. I mean, legitimately, that guy has... It's just got to actually just feel shame constantly all day long throughout yes. the day. Yes. Speaking of feeling shame, 
and feeling pain. You alluded to it earlier as I make a smooth transition with the few minutes we have remaining and another snowy, if not award-winning edition of the Two Guys and a Mike show. This one will go down in the archives with all of our other award-winning shows, Joel. And in five years, when we look back on it, sitting around with our family, we'll say, uh, what the hell are we talking about? But at any rate, uh, speaking of pain, our Northwestern Wildcats yesterday in bad, bad need of a victory, a difference-making win. They're on the road Michigan is cold. The game was there to be had. They lead all game, and again, they could not pull it out, a dagger, if you will, in the abdomen of many Northwestern fans. Uh, you know what? It's, there was lack of offense at the end. Obviously, that killed them. Uh, I mean, Michigan can play some pretty good defense, but there was, that game was definitely there to be had. And after and after what Bobolewski did to that kid, uh, I kind of – we took the arm out and twisted the kid a little bit. I'm oh, sorry, so but there was an accident at the house. The rail just got ripped off the wall. <laughs> Kathy's just way too strong. She ripped the rail off the wall. My goodness. We're working out. She's been doing the shake weight, Coach. And ever since then, she's just like tearing the house up. I'm sorry. I got flustered there for a minute. I'm sorry. You're talking about 14-and-a-half-year-old looking. He's actually 18, David Subaluski. He looks like the choir boy, but he dragged down big, strong. Was it Raymond Morgan? Um. That's the yeah, guy's that's name? what it was. And then he turned around and the kid shoved him right in yep. the chest. And, and obviously he was the second guy in, so he's the one that got caught. Mm-hmm. And the thing about it, if they get Northwestern, it's both of those free throws. That could have made a major difference in the end of the game. No question about it. I thought there was a major strategic mistake made by the award-winning coaching staff of the Northwestern Wildcats down the stretch last maybe 10 minutes of the second half and into overtime. Any idea... Personnel-wise, strategy-wise, as far as who's in the game, to what I might be talking about, Doug. No, I, I have to admit, Coach, that I was going back and forth, so I, I can't, like, I'll be guessing what you're talking about. Right all right, Northwestern, for the first time all season, took the six foot eleven and a half inch uh, underachiever Luka Murkovic out of the starting lineup. Okay. And they started Alex Marcatulio. I don't know if you saw the first half. Or in particular, the first fifteen oh, minutes, first ten well, minutes—that that was the part I was watching. Where yeah. oh my, they, they were they, they were playing free and easy. Yes, and the floor was open. They were passing. They were cutting. They were holding their own on the boards. And then, you know, somewhere at the end of the first half, Luca comes in for a couple of minutes, plugs up the middle. Doesn't even look to shoot the ball. A non-scoring threat. They don't have to help up. All right. I was fine with that. You put him in a couple of minutes. He comes in. Does not start the second half. I was happy with that. But then all of a sudden, at the 13 or 14 minute mark, the big guy is in there for Northwest. And he plays the rest of the game. And you just mentioned our offense is struggling. Well, uh-huh. go back yeah. to Marcatulio, the smaller lineup, when we were passing, cutting, and spacing the offense with the spacing Crawford and Cerner were allowed to drive. They kept Markovic in the game. I could not understand that move. Yeah, that's, uh, that doesn't make any sense there. So, and, they, I mean, how often does Northwestern get a chance to uh, get road victories in, you know, places like uh, Michigan? So, that would have been a big one. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah. When was the last time they won in Michigan? Probably recently. Michigan hasn't been all that great the last couple of years, so they've they've mm-hmm. gone, they've probably gone up there and win. But still, I think, yeah, actually, I think the stat was North Michigan dominates the overall, but the last four times they played, Northwestern's won three times. Okay, cool. So they've obviously that yeah. one up there. So mm-hmm. I don't know if it's still called Chrysler Arena like it used yep. to be. Uh, you know, that, that's it's got to rip you from your heart because you, you think about it, they're still battling to make sure they get into their first tournament. So. Yeah, you know, for, at, the, at this point, the NCAA is a 
outside shot. We got to make the NIT at this point. Uh, speaking of which, we haven't talked much about him. A little college basketball here. The definitive number one team in the country. I'll be honest, dog. Outside of a few highlights, I have not watched Syracuse Orange basketball this year, but people are starting to talk about, you know, they're undefeated. They're knocking off teams at regularity fairly easily. Potentially a great team in the midst. Have you seen Syracuse play? How good are they? Just very, I mean, legitimately, Coach, five minutes of channel switching between uh, commercials when I'm watching, like, uh, big-time basketball on Tuesday night. They were on last night. I saw very little of the game where they went to Villanova. And quite frankly, the way the announcers were speaking, they were playing extremely good basketball, is all, is all I can say. And they, they won by about 20 at Villanova. Yes. That doesn't happen very often, Coach. No, you are correct. That's a big Where's Villanova play? At the, is that the Palestra? Um, well, they're, they're in Philadelphia. I'm pretty sure they still play in the Palestra. Mm-hmm. Hmm. All right. Well, so neither of us have can fully analyze, but we do know Syracuse uh, beating up on some pretty good teams. They played in a couple of good tournaments early on, and they are undefeated. So it's kind of neat at this point. We've got some very good college basketball team, but it looks like we've got a definitive number one that everybody's going to be shooting after. So it'll make make things interesting. Well, I think uh, right now, trust me, they're going to lose, and they're going to lose uh, like a Big East road game, and they might lose two in a week. Okay, and they're still going to be this just as good a team as they are right now. And then Kansas will go on like an eight-game winning streak, and everyone's going to say Kansas is unbeatable, and they'll be the number one team. Kansas and Kentucky will all be the number one team at least one more time the rest of the season. No, I believe in North Carolina. I'm with you on Kentucky. Not so sure about Kansas. Don't forget Austin Rivers, the finest collegiate offensive player ever to come in the game. Uh, so maybe, yeah, maybe <laughs> two, maybe, maybe two. Yeah, we'll see. Big Dog, a tremendous performance. Don't forget your tickets for the Cub Convention are still sitting on the table here if you're interested in attending this weekend. Uh, They will still be sitting there, Coach. I will be there. I don't need them, Coach. I will be there in spirit. All right. Have a great day, Dog. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Football Friday tomorrow, my friend. Spread the truth. And pass the gas. Two guys at a mic signing off. See you tomorrow at 10. Don't be late. Have a great day, everybody.